tell you, I love my job. I do. I do. I love it. Um, not just because it's gotten me out of two speeding tickets at two different times, um, which I've told you about before. I, um, it was awesome. Um, or because uh, I can have an office full of Batman toys and nobody thinks it's too weird. It's, it's a little weird, but it's not too weird. Um, but no, I really love my job. I do. Uh, because I believe that ministry is where God wants me to be, uh, serving a local church, a, a local body of believers, and encouraging students, encouraging families to see Him more clearly. Um, so I love my job. But there was a time when I worried and I, I doubted about whether this is what God really had planned for me, whether this is what God really had in store for me. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. Uh, way back when uh, Sheena was about to graduate in December of '05 from Lipscomb University. Uh, I had graduated the previous December uh, in December of '05. Uh, she had graduated, excuse me, in December of '06. Uh, we got married in June of '06. I had been working a job in Nashville, and uh, as she was getting ready to graduate, we were preparing uh, to look for youth ministry jobs. So I started making phone calls and uh, trying to connect with places that had openings. Uh, finally made a contact with a church just outside of Atlanta, uh, sent in a resume, did a phone interview, uh, and got called in for a weekend interview. So uh, Sheena and I uh, were excited about that. We're like, man, things are going according to plan. Everything seems to be working out. Uh, we we uh, printed off our MapQuest because that was before GPS was in cars and on phones. Um, so we had our MapQuest, uh, and we went and we left uh, to head uh, towards this church. And we got lost a few times on the way and finally made it to our hotel late on a Friday night and then spent the weekend with this church body. And so we went through the interview process and got home, uh, felt kind of good about it. We were like, man, maybe this is what God wants to happen because things seem to be falling into place. Waited, and uh, they were interviewing a couple of other people as well, as churches do. So we waited, and we waited. About a month and a half, maybe a little bit more uh, later, we got a letter in the mail saying, thanks, but no thanks. And we were crushed. We were saddened. We were heartbroken. I mean, this is the first time we've done anything like that, first time we've been on an interview, and we had our hopes up, and uh, they were dashed upon the rocks. Truth be told, though, um, I kind of understand why they didn't hire me, because I really bombed the interview. I really did. Uh, you know, uh, a piece of advice, if you're going to a ministry interview and they ask you what your favorite Bible verse is, don't forget. Um, <laughs> uh, and certainly, certainly don't ask to see a Bible so that you can look it up. Yes, I did that. Um, and then... And then when they give you 45 minutes to teach a class, don't finish in 15 minutes and then just kind of fill the time, you know, with a Q&A session. It doesn't look good on you. Uh, but I was also a nervous wreck. You know, you see me now, I'm cool, calm, and confident and awesome. And, um, but no, I was a nervous wreck. I think during uh, church service, the class was after the worship service, I think I thudded a hole in the ground just being nervous and tapping my leg. Um, but I see why they didn't really hire me because I kind of stunk it up. Uh, but like I said, we were crushed, and shortly after that, we had gone home for Easter at the Pensacola, and we went home, and I, I, on the drive back to Nashville, I just remember Sheena saying, you know, I think we should maybe move back to Pensacola, we can look for a job there, and uh, I can get a teaching job, and at least we'll be home while we're looking. And I was like, hmm, that's probably not going to work out, because I, I know that if we go home, we're going to be stuck, 
And there was already a, a youth minister at the church we were uh, from, and, uh, you know, he's not giving up his job anytime soon. And, um, but, you know, what the wife wants, the wife gets, right? And so uh, Sheena was like, yeah, I think it's a good idea. So we went. We moved home. And this is uh, right at the time as the economy began to kind of collapse. And it's really difficult to get a job, I found out, if, you're, if you have a, a bachelor's degree in psychology and a minor in Bible um, they really, they're like, well, what can you do? I'm like, I don't know. You just have to trust me, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a hard time. It was a dark time for me. Um, I resented the move. Um, I was angry about it. All of my friends were getting the jobs that they wanted, and it seemed so easy for them. And it wasn't for me, and it was hard, and it was dark, and it, uh, it was just depressing. But God had a plan and although he wasn't showing it to me right away, he was preparing me. Shortly after the new year, after we had moved back, the youth minister at our home church decided to take a job in Houston. And he recommended me to the eldership for uh, the position. And uh, the elders took a chance on a young man who had no real skills and no real talent um, and no real experience. But they knew me and they knew our hearts and they knew we loved uh, people and we knew, they knew we loved God. And so they took a chance on me. So two and a half years after I graduated, I was finally doing what God had called me to be and wanted me to do. And I'm grateful that God decided uh, that it was only going to be two and a half years as opposed to 40 years, because I don't know what I would have done um, if it would have taken that long. But here I am today, and I work here at East Brainerd and doing what I love and thankful to serve this church body and thankful to serve you. But I tell you that story to some extent because here are seniors who are about to graduate are making plans. They all have their plans worked out. They have it thought out. This is what they want to be. This is who they're, they're going to be. They may not know all the details, but they have plans of good jobs, good houses, nice families, cars, everything else that they could ever dream of. You know, we spend a lot of time uh, telling them uh, kind of cat poster type inspirations. You know what I'm talking about? Cat poster inspiration. Um, we say things like, follow your heart. You can do anything you set your mind to. Accomplish your dreams, your goals. Shoot for the stars. We tell them these sort of cat poster type inspirations. But let's be honest, as those of us who are a little older know, life has a way of kind of kicking us in the teeth. Things will not always go as we plan them. Sometimes our plans will not happen at all, and life will send you in a completely different direction than you thought it ever would or ever wanted it to. It's a sad truth that plans often fail and don't turn out how we would like them to be. So I thought this morning I would share some, um, some thoughts and some plans from some of you. Uh, last week in the village class, I, I sent around a little questionnaire and got many responses asking about your plans when you were young and your failed plans as you grew older. Um, there were so many great responses, and I can't read all of them. I really wish I could spend, you know, 20 minutes just reading through all those because there were so many great things, but I chose a few. And this is the question that I asked. I said, what plan in high school did you have that didn't work out, and do you remember what caused that change in your plans? One of them was, I planned to be a pharmacist. It didn't happen. Seeing others really struggle with the stress of the coursework of pharmacy school changed my plans. My plan was to go to college, get a degree, get married, have a family, and raise Christian kids. I didn't complete college, and my first marriage didn't work out. 
Another, I plan to be married at 25, children by 30. That didn't happen. Plans changed because of work and didn't meet the right person. Another one, I was going to be an engineer and work in the space department. Plans changed because of the struggle, because of struggling grades and realizing I didn't want to be an engineer and tired of studying so hard but not having success. This one, I planned to go to the military, but a failed physical changed everything. One more, I wanted to move to California and pursue the arts more freely, but my parents' divorce changed things because I felt I had to stay home and help them. Again, I got so many great responses, story after story of dreams and goals of many of you as high schoolers and things that changed. I think if I asked everyone in this room if you had a, a dream or a plan when you were young, when you were a graduating senior, and did that work out, we could hear countless story after countless story of everyone in this room. Because that is life. Things change. Things alter. The things we thought were so important at 15, 18, 20, 30, they shift and they change. Plans are broken. Expectations change. Sometimes because of our own doing, sometimes because of the choices that others make that we can't control. Things that happen in this life that were never part of our plans growing up. Getting passed by for a job. Maybe getting fired from a job you've served for many, many years. A failed marriage to the person you thought you'd spend the rest of your life with. Losing a child. Cancer. A stroke, a heart attack. A car accident that leaves you physically changed, losing a loved one, and so many other things that come in to our plans and wreck them and alter them and change them, often leaving us wondering what God is doing. This morning, as we celebrate our seniors and we celebrate their lives, I want to share with you a verse we so often read at this time in a person's life transition. Uh, that's Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. It reads, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And let's be honest, some of us maybe have this written in a really pretty font somewhere in our house on a poster or uh, on something like on our wall in a a decal or something. And we use this verse as kind of a a way to tell young people to be safe and to secure. And we use it kind of as as a cat poster inspiration, right? Hey, go out there and accomplish your dreams. Look, God says, I got a plan for you. But this morning, I want to share what maybe is really going on in this verse and some context behind it and why it's so much bigger than just a cliche verse we kind of throw around and say all the time. But first, some quick uh, history. Jeremiah is a prophet of God writing this uh, as part of a letter to the remaining elders and those who are in exile. Um, You see, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon has come in and he's invaded uh, Judah and he's taken the people back. You may remember this story also in the book of Daniel. This is at the same time period when Daniel and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are all taken as captive exiles back to Babylon. This is the time that is happening uh, when Jeremiah writes this. So it's a dark, dark time in the history of the Israelite people, the people of Judah. It is a dark time for them. And it's important to remember when Jeremiah writes this, that it is a dark, dark time for them. Because remember, they are the chosen people of God. They think that God will always take care of them, always make them successful, always 
make them the greatest nation in the world. And here comes the nation of Babylon, and they destroy things, and they take captives, and they take people back to Babylon. And the people have to be wondering, God, is this what you planned for us? Is this really what you wanted for us, your chosen people? It's often the response that we have as our plans change and things happen that are unexpected. We say, God, is this really what you want? Is this pain and broken dream and shattered plan really what you have for me? And in these moments, we have a crisis of faith for some that never really recover because we have this idea that if God has a plan for us, it includes our plans for us. That if God has a plan for us, it, include, it should include our plans for us, our plans to be successful and our plans to have our heart's desire. So we read Jeremiah 29, 11, and we say, see here, God says he has a plan. He wants me to prosper. He wants me to be successful. He has these plans for me. Hooray me. It says it right here in the Bible. Good for me. I have, God has a plan. Hooray. I can get anything I want and I can be successful because God says he wants me to prosper. And we've taken this beautiful verse about the promises of God and we've twisted it into a verse about our earthly success. But for the Israelites, the people of Judah, things were not going according to their plan. So Jeremiah writes this letter and he does so not to condemn them or make matters worse, but to encourage them about what's going to happen to them. So we back up just a little bit. I want to back up one verse. It says this. It says, The Lord says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Whew. 70 years, God. 70 years? You have to imagine the Israelites saying, Come on, God. Could you just do this like next Tuesday? That might work out a little bit better. Because imagine the older people hearing this. 70 years? I don't have 70 years left. 70 years to wait and to be in exile and to be in bondage and to be in captivity. But God is telling them plans have changed and you will deal with this for 70 years. So again, that verse that follows. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. As I was studying this verse this week and uh, before this week, kind of preparing for this lesson, I ran across some, some insight into this verse. And a really a more literal translation of this passage is really this. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, said the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you an expected end. You see, God is speaking to a, a group of people, not about future jobs, not about future spouses, not about future successes and kids and all the things we dream of. God is telling them, I know what I think about you, my people. I love you. You matter. And what you are going through may seem like it's not part of the plan, but I will not forget you. And I will give you the end that I promise you. So what does that mean for us? Is it a verse that's just a cat poster inspiration type of encouragement for, the, for us as Christians today? We weren't there. We're not this people of Judah who were sent into exile and the bondage. We're not the audience that Jeremiah is writing to. 
So what can we gather from this? I think we need to look at this verse in terms of the old covenant. The promise that God made to Abraham to say, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will bless all people through you. Look at this verse in light of that and in light of the new covenant that Jesus makes. As Jesus comes in and Jesus sheds his blood for all people everywhere to have a relationship with God and forgiveness of their sins. You see, right now, where we are, we're in the midst of our plans. You and I are all in the midst of our plans. We have plans. Things will not go the way we want them to, so what do we do? Do we give up and do we walk out on God? Do we get angry? Do we shake our fist at Him and say, God, I thought you loved me and I thought you wanted the best for me. Do we believe that God is out to get us when things don't go the way we want them to? No, I think we remember the promise of God made through the new covenant in Christ, that God knows what he thinks about us. That God knows what he thinks about us and he has thoughts of peace and plans to give us an expected end. And that expected end is with him. God has won the battle. God has claimed us. We are his. Even when things don't go the way we want them to, God has said, I have you. You are mine and I will do what's best for you. Jesus would remind the disciples in John 16, as he's telling them of his death, he says, I've told you these things that you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome this world. Life is hard, and you may be in the midst of your own broken dreams and change plans. Teenagers, I hate to break it to you, you will have failures. The things that I read out on your sheets may not work out the way that you want them to. Things will change. You will have broken dreams, broken hopes, and things that never happen. And right now, you have to make a choice. I think we all have to make a choice about what to do in those moments. And the choice is to know that God is good, that God is holy, and that God is faithful to his promises to us above all things. And when we hear Jeremiah 29, 11, we can know that it's not a cliche verse, that everything will go the way we want and we'll have the dreams that we want come true, but that God is in control and that God will take care of us and that God knows what he thinks when he thinks about us. It's a promise in the middle of your exile. It's a promise in the middle of your pain. It's a promise in the middle of your suffering and your broken hopes and your broken dreams that Jesus has come and the promise is fulfilled through him. And it's because of that we can have hope. Paul tells us this in um, Romans chapter 5, and Mac read this for us earlier, but I'll read it again. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Hope poured out through a promise that is Jesus Christ. In the little questionnaire that I asked the village class, I asked one more question. I said, what would you tell a high school student 
about how to prepare for and handle fail, uh, life's failures and uh, failed plans and failed hopes. And I want to leave you with a little bit of wisdom as we close from them. Uh, the first one is that I was popular in high school in terms of sports, friends, etc. I'm 30 and I haven't seen friends from high school in 10 years. Don't go to college based on where your friends go. Don't get caught in high school drama. 10 years from now, you won't remember those things and maybe not even those people. Pretty good advice. This one I, I liked. Failed hopes do not equate to you being a failure. Keep your dreams even when things are rough. Look for other ways to achieve the end goals by other paths. Even if it means helping someone else get there, most of the time you get there too. Plans change. It doesn't mean they fail. Find adults who you can trust to help guide you. No matter what your problems, find someone to talk to. Patience. I'm still surprised how God has used negative experiences in my past to positively impact my life now. And this one, learn to be adaptive and flexible. Be prepared and deal with what comes. And then there were so many responses about stay connected to God. Stay connected to the church. Stay connected through prayer. Stay connected. Be involved in the, bo the body of the Lord because it will help you through the hard times of change and failed dreams. This morning, I don't know where you are. You may have lost hope. You may think that all is lost. And the truth is that I can't tell you what God has planned for you. I don't know. But what I do know is that God loves us and he will work all things out for his purposes because he knows what he thinks about us when he thinks about us. And he has plans for an expected end so that we may have relationship with him. This morning, if you need to make a decision to put on Christ in baptism, to maybe even just begin that conversation, to what does it look like, as I say, to be a Jesus person? What does that look like for me? We can begin those conversations talking about what baptism means. If you're ready this morning to put Jesus on in baptism, our waters are ready for that as well. I don't know where you are, like I said, but if there's anything that we can do as we close this morning, because you are going through an exile of your own, a hardship of your own, a troubled, broken dream, and you don't know where to turn, and you've gotten lost in a dark time, and you just need to be encouraged this morning. It's my prayer that you won't leave this place without knowing what God thinks about when he thinks about you, and know his promises are true, regardless of the hard things that we may face in this life. So if we can encourage you in any way, just pray with you. You can come forward and we would uh, just love to know what's going on in your life so that we can pray for you. There'll be elders up here. There'll be elders in the back. Or if you just need to find one of us afterwards, please don't leave this place in the darkness, not knowing that God has a promise and a plan for you because he knows what he thinks about when he thinks about you. If there's anything we can do, please come forward as we stand and as we worship the Father.